Hi, I'm Tessa Hulse, editor of The Project Room. This month's podcast is a conversation with Seattle-based artist Ellie DeCola. As part of Seattle Storefronts, a program that places artist projects in vacant storefront spaces, Ellie created the installation Was Here. As a corporeal monument to places that are gone, Was Here is a documentation of local businesses and organizations that have disappeared over the last handful of years. Ellie refers to her project as a map of experiences, and in our discussion of evolution and change, we explore what it means to give voice to memory and to create a place to collectively mourn the intangible. Thanks for listening. All right. I am sitting here today with Ellie DeCola. Thanks for meeting with me. Thanks for having me. Um, and today I mostly want to ask you about the project you're currently working on. The installation was here. So can you give me a brief overview of what this project is? Um, it's part of Shunpike Storefronts program. And I actually applied for the program in 2013. And at the time, I had ideas about like the old public's hotel and the ID or um, a similar really old building. Um, I was interested in doing something to explore the kind of figurative idea of ghosts and all these layers of history, um, especially you know witnessing the changes in Seattle. And since that time, none of those storefronts are even exist anymore. They've either been bought up or they're being renovated or they're being demolished. There literally is no space in the program anymore except on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just give a little context about the Storefronts program for people that might not be familiar with it, can you talk about that? Um, it's a public works program in which it started a few years ago um, when there were still a lot of empty storefronts. Um, as buildings are in transition, the landlord can donate the window space to um, to the arts program and artists can propose different um, ranging from visual art to site-specific projects. I think that some of them have been sort of performance or residency based as well um, for a set duration of time and it's there is no guarantee that you'll get a space. You basically um, can get on a roster and then as a space becomes available build something in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's an interesting program because it only exists so long as there's empty space, which yeah. it, it means that its success is based on the economy not doing very well. Yeah, yeah, I think it started when, in maybe 2009, I could be wrong um, about the exact date, but when you saw, you know, for rent signs, vacancy signs everywhere, which is the opposite of now. <laughs> yeah, and as you were saying um, in your project, that now all the spaces are only on the Amazon campus. Yeah. Um, and can you talk a little about how your idea of wanting to make work about ghosts, how that's changed with knowing that your site was going to be in this new context? Well, so my original idea was related to a project I did at Smoke Farm um, that was not so much about ghosts, like not so much about the ghosts of like human ontologies, but um, specifically about the loss of my cat, <laughs> who I had had for 17 years. And so I, I basically built this huge memorial for him at Smoke Farm, and I wanted to do something formally that was really similar with these um, kind of hundreds of silk 
panels that were hand embroidered with a contemplation. In this case, it would have been specific to the space, maybe imagining stories, imagining the people and events that had taken place there in a kind of really poetic way, giving myself a lot of poetic license. And that just didn't, that's not something I wanted to do at Amazon. I, this, this sort of really heartfelt or tender, per, super personal thing like that just didn't feel appropriate at Amazon. And so how did your initial intent change to fit the Amazon environment? Um, I was... I had really mixed feelings about all of the spaces being available at Amazon. I mean, on the one hand, they should be paying artists and they should be supporting the arts and participating in the arts. And, and within the art community, there's a lot of push for you know, bridging the gap between artists and tech workers and whatnot. Um, but on the other hand, I felt like Amazon is just like, just like the rest of the city, just buying this program out, you know, just buying us out so that we can make a pretty thing to serve Amazon or something, you know. Um, I don't know, there was just something about it that didn't quite sit right with me. And... Uh, there was no way I could do something in that space without commenting on not, you know, I wanted to avoid doing anything in a really didactic way, like making a really specific statement about Amazon, but without commenting on the changes of our city and with Amazon kind of as a site being having a central role in that. Mm -hmm. And just for our listeners, can you talk about what your project actually is within that space? Um, it's a 14-foot-long uh, drawing. It's sort of hung. It's in mural format, um, and I have written in sort of f false or faux Edwardian script the in graphite the um, names of about 100 independent businesses, art spaces, cultural spaces, programs that have closed. And um, a lot of them are recent. A lot of them are um, pretty centric to Capitol Hill just because that's where I've been for the past 10 years. So that's where I've really witnessed the majority of this and had the most um, experience with different spaces. Um, and some of it just goes back to Seattle history and offers a nod to different, um, different eras in Seattle cultural history. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about the project is that you've really very openly turned to social media um, to gather names of places yeah. that have gone and to kind of touch base with other people's memory of these changes. And yeah. so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you at yourself um, <laughs> off of your Facebook page. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no, it's actually it's great. You you just you said this so lyrically uh -huh. that um, I really wanted to make sure that uh, that I could use this in some way. And so um, this was taken from a thread of people just talking about places that are gone and what it means for them to no longer be there. And you said, this is a conversation about gentrification, but also a memorial to the cultural history, and it will hopefully evolve into a physical map of the terrain. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about, um, about that idea of this evolving into something that's a map? Well, it's a map of experience, and it's an emotional map, I guess, more than 
anything else. Um, I mean, it, it could be continued. I mean, there, I didn't have the space. I mean, it could go on and on a thousand names, you know, so, um, and also a map of people and a map of the way that the social network is interconnected, mm -hmm. you know, between, you know, we, I had people uh, chiming in from the music community and the arts community and the performance community, um, people who overlap but don't necessarily know each other personally. So I thought that that was really interesting mm -hmm. also as a cultural map. And people of very different age ranges. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there were a lot of things that came up that were practically before I was born, let alone, you know, lived here as an adult to experience these things. So I think if we're really going to go, like, delve into the cultural history, there's, it's really rich with mm -hmm. a lot of... Yeah, and in a way, it's like the conversation creates a graveyard or it creates yeah. someone to come visit because you can't really, there's no other way to collectively mourn these places mm -hmm. unless you are able to group together people's memories of them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what's so interesting to me about this project. Um, and right now at the project room, we're exploring the idea um, of monuments and we're asking this big question of how are we remembered? Um, and so could you talk a little bit more about this piece as a memorial and what, what you hope that it can provide for people? Um, I hope that it gives people pause to contemplate what they're walking into, um, that there is a history here, and that there has been a huge effort and just a, just a shared lived experience um, that, like, what exists, let's, let's say Capitol Hill, it's this cool place, right, that everybody wants to come to this cool place now. But it's, it is that because of a shared lived experience of people's efforts that have made it that way. So I want to give that voice and I want to give agency to that um, and perhaps give people um, who don't know that history, you know, pause to contemplate, like, this isn't just you know, a site to come and consume and, you know, do whatever, you know, there's, there's real meaning here. And, um, and I also want to just provide a way to celebrate, um, especially within the cultural and arts community, um, to celebrate our history and um, offer something you know, there's so much heated debate about gentrification, and I'm not really interested in that as much as giving voice and agency to a memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can tell that it's a very considered action on your part, yeah. and that you put a lot of thought into wanting to do something that wouldn't be seen as aggressive or accusatory. Yeah. And even though, you know, you said that 
um, with the initial spirit of the project when you thought that it was going to be in a, a different neighborhood in a different context that um, that you didn't feel like the tenderness could really translate but mm-hmm. I actually disagree with you because I think <laughs> you have managed to create a sense of tenderness and even the choice of this faux Edwardian script there's yeah. something very um, reverent about it yeah and um, I, I really appreciate that it seems like you're yes. trying to start a dialogue rather than yeah um, definitely Thank you. Yes, that is definitely what I'm trying to do. I mean, my feelings on the subject are pretty, I mean, I have pretty strong opinions, but I'm not interested in pointing at individuals and saying, you know, your lifestyle choices or this or that, you should be thinking or feeling this way, you know. I mean, I I chatted with a woman I know who works at Amazon, who saw my post and was really interested and wanted to talk to me about Amazon and working at Amazon. And, you know, she's also from Seattle, so she had a lot to say about the history of South Lake Union and what was there before Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a really human thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, like, I definitely don't want to remove the humanness from this whole contemplation. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is one of the most interesting parts of the dialogue about gentrification and change is this idea that these people who are coming in and and undeniably changing the demographics, they want to be supporters of the arts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious as to how you feel they can do that. Like, how can you support culture through this big shift without um, sort of unwittingly destroying it? I mean, back to what I was saying about, you know, giving voice to... The history, I think understanding the history that you're walking into, um, making an effort to, you know, not only explore what might be going on presently, but, you know, to kind of think about the history of what's been here and who's been here um, is a big part of, a big part of being supportive. Um, and a big part of just naturally having respect for, for a place. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about your work in general, because it seems like you have this fascination with um, ephemerality and sort of the ritual around it and the importance, but not the, the concrete object. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what you make outside of this project? Um, I work a lot with video. I have... The core of my um, art practice right now is a video performance series that is hosted on Pornhub. It's called Hips, Lips, Tits, Power. I can never... <laughs> it's like a real tongue twister. Um, and it's basically... Okay, I'll call it feminist performance art. It's feminist in the sense of I'm even questioning what feminism is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, again, not approaching anything from a really didactic point of view, but um, highly autogra- autobiographical material um, that I express on camera through performance and use of costumes and props. It's all shot in my apartment. Um, I'm interested in Pornhub as a site to host it um, because a lot of my work deals with embodiment and sexuality in a really, like, in an inverse way Mm -hmm. of what you would expect to see on Pornhub. And um, I had had the hope of having social interactions with users on there, and I haven't quite figured out how to take 
guys with dick avatars seriously enough to interact with them yet but um <laughs> have they tried to engage in I got one I got one comment on something that I posted that was like you should hit me up I think we could gel well <laughs> and I've gotten some thumbs up and some thumbs down like someone was like what the fuck is this this isn't porn um but anyway that's the main thing I'm working on right now but um I also, like, I look at this storefronts thing as a sort of side project, and I do do a lot of side projects where I really, like, I really consider the whole context of the project, and um, it's really important to me that I'm not just making something and taking it and then, like, placing it on top of this site. It's about, like, the site is the work. Mm -hmm. So I do... Um, I do do a lot of side projects like that and my, my smoke farm work from the past as well. Um, I've worked with textiles and mm -hmm. large-scale installation format. It's like this insane amount of labor and then it's up for a day and then gone forever. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, and in a way, even this Pornhub project is... <laughs> I see some definite parallels between um, what you're doing for the storefronts installation in that you're, you're taking an environment that sort of comes with prescriptive guidelines, and then you're putting work in there that doesn't quite play by the rules. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I, do, I do see that as being a thread in your work. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit more, not playing by the rules? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've always felt like an outsider. I mean, I'm not at all an outsider artist. I have, you know, a graduate degree in art, and all of that, like, I'm pretty well informed, but, and I've had a lot of resources at my disposal, but I've always felt a little bit outside of things because what I do is so autobiographical and so subjective, and I feel like that's really frowned upon in the contemporary art world, you know, like, everything is so hyper-conceptual or so hyper, you know, about social issues or you know it's there's like a formula almost that you have to follow in order to be successful and I haven't even actively shunned that I've just never known how to follow that formula I don't, I don't know how to speak to something that isn't at least originating from myself so I've, I feel like my work has always been kind of concerned with creating my own system of symbols and magic and my own constellations and in that sense um, has always been a little bit outside of things and I definitely carry that to the sites I work with where I'm, I'm sort of maybe assuming that I'm not going to be a fit so mm. I challenge what is there already. Hmm, that's really interesting. Switching gears a little bit you you seem to be like moving more into to writing these days, and that seems to be a really large part of your practice. And um, can you talk a bit more about that? Um, yeah, I've always written. I've always been a writer, uh, but I didn't really take it seriously as um, you know a a branch of my art practice until the past few years. Um, a lot of, well, my videos, I script a lot of my videos out. Um, I script dialogue and um, I practice sort of automatic writing 
you know, to lead me to ideas of what objects I might want to use or what, you know, to draw meaning out of um, things that I'm not necessarily thinking very methodically about. And I've, I started taking those scripts and sort of turning them into semi-poetic works or even breaking them apart and incorporating the text itself into my video. Um, so that's something that I've been doing more and more and I also have started writing about art for um, Art Nerd Seattle as I'm able, as I have time. Um, and I have no formal training in writing or journalism and I feel like uh, even that writing tends to be a bit experimental, mm -hmm. like experimental reviews versus following a really journalistic approach. Which I think is more interesting to read. Yeah. <laughs> Who really does have a formal journalistic background? I don't know. I applied for a job at a, a newspaper that I saw were seeking arts writers, and I never got a call back, no. and I don't know if what I do is too experimental, but... <laughs> is it for a, an experimental paper? Or no. What? Well, it's for a, um, an independent paper, but definitely pretty journalistic. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, ah, even the most marketable of my skills is to <laughs> out there to get a paid job. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's so hard to find any paid work in the yeah. arts. It's just the reality of the yeah. way <laughs> Are you finding that writing about art is changing the way that you look at your own work? Huh. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, anything does, right? It's a constant process. I'm not always conscious of um, how it might change my own work, but I will say that um, approaching, when I look at work and write about work, and I always approach it on its own terms, you know, like what is this work trying to accomplish, not what is my subjective preference or mm -hmm. what, would, what would I think make it successful, but what is it? trying to accomplish, you know, and meeting it on its own terms. And I, that is definitely a process that I carry to my own work, um, letting go of a lot of the, um, the kind of consideration of the audience or how will this be received or what will the audience think um, and just allowing myself to make work on my own terms. Mm -hmm. And it will be what it is. So that has actually been really helpful for me. Um, in terms of influences, we've talked a lot about uh, internal genesis of ideas, but what, um, who are some artists that you admire? Um, locally, Amanda Manitak um, has been really supportive, and I feel a deep kinship with her work. Mm -hmm. um, Let's see, going really far back, Eva Hess is, Eva Hesse is probably how you pronounce it, I'm not sure. So. <laughs> um, well, she's the first artist I fell in love with, and I will always love her dearly. Um, Kiki Smith is another one. A lot of the artists I love have, like, this tragedy surrounding them. Sylvia Plath, um, I like really dark stuff. Kurt Cobain and um, Virginia Woolf. Um, most of the artists I identify with are female. Mm -hmm. 
although that's not like a conscious choice. Um, contemporary, who do I look at a lot? I've gotten into net artists mm -hmm. a lot. There's um, an amazing contemporary um, internet artist who works with social media and performance and video named Genevieve Bellevue. And she goes by the handle Gorgeous Taps. This is a bit of a, a tangential question, but how do you feel that, um, that the internet has changed your own work, or how does it inform it? Because it seems like you draw pretty heavily from it. I do. Um, it's really a practical thing in a lot of ways. You know, I don't have a studio space. I don't have access to kind of um, a never-ending art supply list of constantly having to buy paper and um, all this stuff. It's like I, I have my gear, I have my camera, I have my computer, I have my editing software, and I have my desk. So a lot of it is what do I have that I can make work with. And um, then there's the internet, and it's kind of <laughs> endless. It's kind of the sky's the limit, really, um, when you're working with platform like that mm -hmm. and um, I feel like there's a lot of freedom it's the most democratic platform that we really have mm -hmm. in this culture so um, I'm definitely like anti curating on the internet uh, for that reason I think it kind of goes against what the internet even is mm -hmm. not not anti curating but I don't know like I, I just the internet is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's complicated in that it's at once the, this thing that's liberating artists. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's like you just talked about it. It frees you from the constraints of needing yeah. to have a lot of capital for your work. But yeah. at the same time, if you look at what's going on in Seattle and this project that you're doing at Amazon, it's, it's also what is changing the culture so mm -hmm. much. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, that's not really anything new, you know. I started looking at net artists a long time ago in like 2007 and I was late to the game, um, but I was part of this social bookmarking site called Delicious that was part of Yahoo and I somehow um, got connected to someone on there that was involved in a kind of um, computer surfing club what does that mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> it was, there was um, a group of artists and internet personalities who would surf the internet and share links and upload their findings um, to like a shared forum mm -hmm. that was semi-public. I mean, you could find it. It wasn't exactly a website. Um, as much as a sort of repository where people would dump things, like a public directory. Hmm. Um, so it was about searching the internet, basically, and it was about, you know, various media processes. So that's one thing regarding the internet that I find really interesting is, um, you know, the potential to have an understanding of the media itself and 
what the media history is uh, versus just taking an image and dumping it on. I guess that's what I meant by being anti-curating the internet, mm -hmm. just taking an image and sort of dumping it on the internet, but it the internet otherwise has nothing to do with what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I find work that's really referencing the media itself and really has a knowledge of what it is and where it's being hosted to mm -hmm. be really interesting about the internet. Yeah, and that, that actually ties back into something else I found when I was um, rifling back through your old Facebook threads. Or Actually, <laughs> I'm not sure where exactly I found this, but the, you wrote at some point that um, there's something magical about knowing where the ghosts are buried. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's the same idea. Mm -hmm. I almost... I don't know, I like picture you putting on like a hard hat and miner's helmet and like, <laughs> going into the depths of the internet just to see what you can do. It's like a I very tactile approach to it. I told, yeah, it's interesting. I always think about how my work is really handmade and tactile even when it's like digital and virtual, it mm -hmm. still has that. Um, but it is, like I have gone into the deep web, you know, there are like deep web search engines and I have... Definitely what is a deep web search engine. I don't, even, I don't know what this is. Um, it's basically so everything exists on the internet that's ever been on the internet. Nothing ever disappears. Going back to the idea of ghosts, mm -hmm. it might not be like um, it, it. It might not be pulled up through a Google search, mm -hmm. um, but a cache is archived of everything that has ever existed on the internet. So a deep web search engine um, will pull up caches that are no longer actually live on a website, but mm -hmm. a record still exists. Um, and then there are also deep web like used for scholarly mm -hmm. research, um, academic libraries and things like that different, mm -hmm. for finding different articles, aggregates of like targeted towards specific topics mm -hmm. um so there there are a lot of factions of it but yeah but at the end of the day all of this sort of ephemeral not intentionally <laughs> hidden but hidden just by default information it has to have a server farm to support it like yeah you can get as far down the rabbit hole of of concept as you want but there still has to be a physical moniker somewhere yeah. for it to exist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for Thank taking you. the time to come chat this morning. <laughs> Thank you for having me.